Hello, everyone. Welcome into the Sports Plus podcast for the week of March 8th. We're off last week, but we're back. Lots to discuss, too. I'm Corey Miller here with Andy H. Tomatich and Andy Moeller, and we'll lead off the Cardinals like we like to do. First things first, we got to talk about the moment yesterday because I can't open any kind of social media without seeing it. Uh, Yachty in spring training against uh, Jose Siri. You say who, and you should say who because he hasn't played a game in the major leagues, and he's just some guy who decided to pick a fight with Yachty on the base pass, taunting him, and Yachty said, go ahead, try and steal on me, and he threw him out. Uh, Andy, what did you think? I mean, why would anybody just rile up Yachty or Molina? You know, that was exactly when I, when I of course, uh, quote tweeted the, the, the video sequence that, uh, what was the name, John Boy, I think it was, was yeah. on Twitter, did a really nice job of breaking that down, but... I, I just kind of posed the question, why would you? I mean, why would you? I mean, it, it's just it's just that simple. That's that's ridiculous. Um, and, you know, I, I guess you're, you know, what have you got to lose? But, uh, you know, you make, maybe make a name for yourself if you, if you happen to be successful, but uh, all you gotta do is check, check the books and see that uh, that's not likely to happen. If you're listening to this and you haven't seen what we're talking about, uh, Young guy for the Astros comes in as a pinch runner. Yadi Yadi attempts to throw behind him at first base like he likes to do, and almost gets him. Even though the pitch Yadi wanted the pitch outside and uh, Woodford threw it inside, Yadi almost picks him off first. And Siri slides back in and shakes his head and wags his finger, goes no no no, and Yadi takes his helmet and motions to second base like, all right, go ahead and try it. And you know how that worked out. Uh, Hannah and Ahmad, did you guys see this? Yes, I did. I did. I saw it. I thought it was great. I mean, it's just a typical Yadi or Molina story. I feel like this happens at some point in the season. There's always someone who wants to test him or thinks that they can still test him. And it's just, it's the same story every time. I love it. I mean, I think the craziest thing about it, if I heard Dan right, that that guy hadn't played an MLB game before. And he came in and, you know, he was telling the guy who's been in the MLB for 17 years. I mean, I would think you would kind of second guess that when you first come into the into the game. I know your emotions are running high, but this is one of the greatest catchers of all time. So I'm sure that'll be a memory he'll never forget. That's for sure. Adding, adding, to, adding to the embarrassment, you know, in a situation like that, a catcher may, you know, may try to tilt the tip, tip the field to his advantage and, and call for a fastball. God, he called for a changeup, and he still threw him out by a hundred feet. Yes, that was maybe the best part of the. That was maybe the best part of the whole thing. Yeah, and this guy comes running in, has to take his gold chain off first and give it to the first base coach before he. I mean, this guy better hope he makes it to the major leagues and does something, anything else, because if he doesn't, this is that's what he's going to be I'm, known for: toning out of your Molina and getting caught. And the second best part about that was the, the way Yachty looked at him once he once he gunned him down. He yeah. he made sure he looked right at him. You know, he's trying to find those eyes. Like, what'd you say now? You know, like, yes, again, you know, so typical Yachty fashion. You come at the king, you best not miss. And uh, Jose Siri missed. Okay, let's get some other Cardinal stuff. Uh, the starters, other than Adam Wainwright, been pretty uh, not great so far in spring training. Pretty much none of them even making it out of the first inning a good deal of the time. What's our can we talked about our concern status for uh, the offense? I guess uh, when we were on with Frank on the on the radio the other day, and we were all kind of at spring training. Don't worry too much. 
But this rotation, not looking so good. What's our concern level for the starters other than Wainwright? And who are we most worried about? Ahmad, you go first. I don't think you're concerned. You you can be concerned with anything going on right now. It's spring training. You know, I know it's the first couple of games and we all have high expectations. And I think that's something that, you know, we get accustomed to every year. We see all the big names, all the new additions to the team, and we know their potential. So when they go down to spring training and don't deliver right away, well, we're already judging them. Like, you know, let's wait until the season starts before we hit the panic button. Uh, you, you have to be impressed with Adam Wainwright, though. I mean, that just shows his leadership, uh, his experience of being in the game for so long that he's able to be ready and have his body ready to go once he gets to camp. I think, you know, other guys will benefit from a guy like that. And um, Jack Flaherty, obviously motivated to play this year. He has a lot going on. So just coming off the arbitration uh, deal, you know, I think there's a lot going on in his head. He's young. He's still trying to get it together. So I think he'll piece everything together before the season rolls around. So don't hit the panic button yet. Yeah. I can agree with that. I think spring training is always interesting just in the way you can see how certain players prepare themselves heading up into spring training. And you can see some guys who don't prepare themselves as much in certain ways heading into spring training. Adam Wainwright, you just see the work ethic heading into that before he's there. You know, he's working before that and he's in game shape to an extent. I think it'll still get better. And then you also see, you know, I don't. It, it's just an interesting situation with Jack Flaherty, like Ahmad mentioned. That's that's not the Jack Flaherty that we've seen. I think he's going to be completely fine once you get into regular shape form. And the same thing with KK. I mean, people are, you know, hitting panic mode, but I think he hit better form um, earlier today. And I think that he's still just making his way. And I think by the time we reach regular season, it'll be better than what we've seen. I think Andy might uh, steal my thunder, but I'm, I'm going to let him go here. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm I'm not I'm not overly concerned yet for for two reasons. Uh, first of all, uh, I, I I don't think most pitchers want to throw in their normal pitching pattern to hitters because they don't want to give the hitters anything that they can that they can examine and look when they face them during the uh, during the regular season. Um, I will say though, if there's any concern, it's just that uh, you know the Miles Michael is coming off this injury. Still there hasn't, Andy, uh, still hasn't thrown yet. <laughs> well, you know, you left the door open for me. <laughs> hey, at least um, I called it there. I knew it was going to happen. It, well, exactly. But yeah, the fact that he hasn't, uh, that he hasn't thrown a pitch in, uh, in anger yet, uh, so to speak, um, is a little bit concerning because that opens up another, another hole in the roster. And uh, as good as Alex Reyes pitched, uh, the other night, Mike Schilt is still, um, I think he's still kind of, you know, hell bent on uh, keeping him in the bullpen. Uh, it's a nice play. You know, he, he would be in a, have a nice role there or whatever, but uh, you've got to wonder if um, they're going to be able to fill the, the vacancies in the rotation. Yeah, as much as I want that Alex Reyes rotation spot, Mike Schilt is doing everything to throw cold water on that. It doesn't seem like there's any chance that happened in this year unless guys get hurt or he maybe gets some innings out in the bullpen and they feel safe putting him in the rotation where he's not going to get a whole lot of innings. But yeah, how many times have the Cardinals been in spring training and we hear, oh, guys just been delayed maybe a couple days working through some stuff with his arm and then they're out for the whole year or something. So I'm very concerned about this Michaelis uh, ordeal because we've just seen it. I mean, every situation is different, but We've seen it so many times before. Somebody's having just a little bit of issues and then it turns into a big thing. 
and he's a guy already coming off an injury. So I think uh, there is some cause for concern there. But overall, yeah, it's just spring training. They'll get there. Uh, let's talk hoops now real quick. We'll do a more in-depth NCAA tournament episode next week once we know who's going where and who's actually in. And speaking of who's actually in, man, that game against St. Bonaventure for SLU was just more and more depressing with every minute because you could just feel the tournament slipping away. Now, Ahmad, uh, I, I'm going to turn to you. Usually I go to Frank here, and Frank would just uh, Frank would go on about the Billikens for about five minutes. But Frank is on vacation this week, so we don't have him. So, Ahmad, you're, you're the slew uh, – you're the slew homer right now. Is there any, is there any way you can get in the tournament now, or are you already just planning on the NIT for these guys? Uh, um, I mean, I hate to be the bear of bad news, but you have to plan for the NIT. You know, I saw something earlier. They, the team didn't play 20 games. I understand that they did have some big wins, but some of those did come at the beginning of the year when teams weren't as seasoned as they were at the end. And I think when you look at the slew team at the very end, we know their potential, but they didn't show it, you know, they didn't live up to those expectations on the basketball court. And that's ultimately what it comes down to uh, is how you deliver when the lights shine bright and they didn't deliver when they needed to. And uh, I think the way that they lost uh, the other day to St. Bonaventure will, will actually cost them. Had that game been competitive, I think you can make a, le- a legitimate case as to why this team, you know, needs to be there. I still think you can with, without that loss, but I mean, just looking on the outside in, it's just, it's hard to, to fight and make a, a case for this team the way they played towards the end of the year. And you have to know that COVID, you know, really, you know, played a factor for their season this year, unfortunately. You look at the, the net rankings and all that stuff, and SLU still looks pretty good. And, I mean, all of us – is SLU one of the 68 best basketball teams in the country? Of course they are. Yeah, for but sure. With how everything is shaking out, and we have no idea how the committee is going to look at COVID this year with teams that – have been out for more and how that's all going to balance. And I, I do think the Billikens are going to find, uh, find themselves looking on the outside, looking in, which is just too bad because this was supposed to be this team's year. And uh, it, it doesn't look like it's going to work out. And Hannah, uh, moving on a little bit, our Tigers have picked a heck of a time uh, for their down stretch of the season. Tough loss to LSU over the weekend. LSU, no slouch, pretty good team. Who slew beat, by the way, also. And now Mizzou is the seventh seed heading into the SEC tournament, which seems ridiculous to say when they were beating uh, Alabama just a month or so ago, looking like they were peaking and going to go on a run. Let me take the, the temperature of your excitement for Mizzou the rest of March. Temperature is still high for excitement, despite the loss to LSU, which I was not anticipating. Um, but I do think, I think, I mean, it's somewhat of a concern. Eight and eight, you finish eight and eight in the SEC play. I don't think the loss to LSU is the end of the world. You probably drop a seed line. But I think um, you look at this game, and it's just the way that they can't handle certain scenarios. I mean, it's just so hit or miss. And then with Jeremiah Tillman, you have like three guys on him at all times, and they have no idea how to handle that on the court. At certain points in the game, it's like, how do you generate offense then? Um, For them, it's just been difficult, I think. And um, temperature is still high, though. Overall, temperature is high, and I'm still excited to see them play. I'm hoping that they can can pull through and kind of recuperate after uh, some unfortunate losses to end the season. I think they got to hope for a, a good draw in the matchup. Uh, so preferably not on that eight, nine line. So they're not playing the one seed in the second game. 
And then uh, they got to find if Mark Smith or Torrance Watson or somebody decides to show up and shoot. I think they, they could still have a chance. And Andy, on the other hand, Illinois legitimately looks like one of, if perhaps not the very best team in the country, they're peaking at the absolute perfect time. Yes, they are. And getting DeSumo back uh, is only going to help. Um, I'm sure they're hoping for, you know, for the full run through the, uh, through the tournament to give him as many, as many games, uh, you know, to get his, get his mojo back before the tournament starts. Um, they are, they are really loaded. And, you know, the, one of the keys to a successful run in the NCAA tournament is good guard play. And that is where Illinois excels. So they've got a lot of guys there, DeSumo, Trent Frazier, uh, Cabello. Um, so yeah, I, you know, it, they have picked a good time to kind of start hitting their peak. I, I haven't stopped hearing it from my Illinois uh, friends lately, especially on Saturday. That, that was a lot of fun, but uh, they're still not totally happy. They still can't, they got the best team in the country and they're still not totally happy because they didn't win, win the big 10 regular season because Michigan got it because of COVID and missed games. Ahmad, how do you see that? Should Illinois feel like the Big Ten champs of the regular season, or is that just the way it is? Uh, they should be. I mean, I, they they prove why they're the number one team in the Big Ten, but you know how everything works, the rules that are set in place. It's kind of like this past season when Yachty got mad and, you know, when he didn't get gold glove consideration, you know, the rules were set in place. I think that's the way you have to look at the situation. And forget the, the Big Ten regular season championship. Go win the conference tournament. You know, go go get, go win the NCAA tournament. You know, they have bigger dreams. You know, with, with DeSumo, the Mr. Closer, you know, a.k.a. Black. Oh, we lost Amon, but that's what I've been telling all my Illinois friends, friends uh, too. Go win, go win the Big Ten tournament, then you can say you're, you're the Big Ten champs. Hopefully, we'll get Amon back here. He must have a bad connection. That's how I was going to say, Iodasumu was very confident in the post-game interview. He's like, I mean, we're champs. It is what it is, and he was calling them champs. He said they knew they're champs, and he has some confidence heading into this tournament, that's for sure. I wouldn't mind a Michigan-Illinois rematch somewhere. Well, heck, that might have to take place in a national championship if they're both one seed, but that would be pretty fun, I, I think. Uh, let's move on. Blues have been playing better, piecing it together. A lot of injuries like we've been talking about out on the West Coast road trip still. They did get a reinforcement with Vladimir Tarasenko against the Kings. Hannah, I thought he looked pretty good in his first game back. What did you see? I thought he looked good, too. I think the biggest thing that everyone was looking to see is how hard he was taking contact. How much was he really taking that shoulder into other players, into the wall, into the corners, and some of those nitty-gritty places, and he went full force. I mean, there was really not one situation where I'm like, ah, he really held off there, and he was shooting the puck. He was really winding up that shoulder and shooting the puck. And so I think it was good to see. I don't think he's in full game shape form. I mean, I think his shifts, he was averaging, like, 35 seconds, which is way down from usual. But how do you expect a guy to get thrust into that situation and just be completely up to speed? So I liked what I saw. He had the puck on his on his uh, tape with a chance to end it at the very end. And I was up. I was off the couch screaming because that would have been so awesome. And I thought he was going to do it. But then, of course, immediately goes the other way in the blue blue. But hey, you can't win them all. At least they got a point. Uh, and we know those those West Coast road trips, doesn't matter how good those teams are a, a given year, they're going to be tough. 
And Andy, it looks like the power play is finally coming together, though, which is what we thought it was going to be coming into the year, one of their biggest strengths. That's a, that's a welcome sight. Uh, it is a very welcome sight. And if you, you, if you live in hindsight, which I often do, uh, it's easy to kind of kind of understand why they they had such a cold streak at the beginning. I mean, you're two you're working two got two new guys into the uh, you know into the first power play unit, and you know Hoffman and Krug have still got a you know uh, we're still developing chemistry or whatever, but it sure looks like they're all they're all on the same page, and uh, you know and they've they've you know it's not it's it's more instinctive now, and it's not like okay, what am I supposed to be doing now? Uh, it's it's very much okay. He's going to be here, and he's going to be here, and uh, let's roll off of that. We're getting a mod back here, but as yeah. far as Hoffman goes, I think we have not even seen what this guy usually is yet. I think he's <laughs> he can go on a stretch of like five or six games where I I'm expecting this to happen at some point this year, where he just rattles off goals because. That's what he's done in the past, and I think once he really settles in, which it looks like he's doing, uh, we could see that here with the Blues. Okay, that's the horn. We'll move on to the final buzzer question for today. This is a tough one, okay? So I, uh, you might have to think a little bit about this one. The NBA All-Star Game had a St. Louis flyer last night, of course. Brad Beal, Jason Tatum, so much fun to see, and a great, uh, great promo for Chaminade uh, on the same team together. And uh, were they on Team LeBron or Team Durant? Team Durant. So they lost. They end up losing, yeah. I guess. But, yeah. you know, it's still yeah. cool to see them out there together. So my question for the final buzzer segment this week, which of those two will have a better career when everything is said and done? And how high up do they already rank when you're talking best basketball players from our town? Andy, I'll go with you first. Uh, I appreciate you going with the age factor first. Um, <laughs> I would say uh, they're not there yet, but they're they're approaching upper echelon. Uh, you know, again, as far as who's going to be the better between the two, are you going to judge it by championships or are you going to judge it by by raw stats? If it's going to be by championships, I sort of feel like uh, then it's going to come down to Tatum. I think he's going to, I think he's going to lead uh, Boston or whatever team he winds up with. Uh, to a championship or two, you could just already see to me anyway, just the way he carries himself on the court. This is a young guy and he already carries himself, you know, like, like he knows he belongs, but yet, you know, he's not, he's not, Hey, look at me. He's just, he just knows he belongs. Uh, I think in terms of raw numbers, I think, uh, I think it's going to be Beal, but I think when it comes to championships, I'm going to lean on uh, Jason Tatum. Hannah. I was gonna, it's so funny you say that. I was actually talking, so their trainer from St. Louis, Drew Hanlon, we talk about this all the time between these two and I knew him from high school, good friend. And it's just so funny. They're just, they're such different players. But I do think, I think the mentality is different too, but I, it's just the way that Bradley Beal can really improve and carry himself with more seasons in the NBA. And I think Jason, he, I think he'll end up playing for, you know, the better teams, getting the championships, like you said, Andy. But I think overall, just in terms of a legacy, I just really see Bradley Beal um, really ending up towards the top. And so I would choose him. Ahmad, I think Ahmad's back with us. Who you got? You know, technical difficulties. You got to bounce back in this world, <laughs> you know. Uh, <laughs> I would have to, you know, this is a tough one because 
if you ask me this year, I want Bradley Bill on my team. This guy is the number one scorer in the NBA with 33 points a game. I mean, he's just a sharp shooter. This that that's who you want out there right now, a leader, uh, somebody who's willing, you know, to go get a bucket. Um, but if you're looking long term, you have to go Jason Tatum. His upside. I mean, that guy just has the total package. He's had it since he's been in high, uh, since he was in high school. I mean, he's just a skilled player. He has that Kobe uh, Kobe Bryant finesse when he plays, and just so smooth. His footwork footwork his jump shot he can create his own shot get into the basket so I would have to pick Jason Tatum as the best player to come out of St. Louis and he will probably have a better career but I think when you look at Brad and Jason it's like 1A 1B you can't go wrong with you know either player like like picking children like can't pick our favorite kids so it is is tough but I I, I'm gonna go with you there too Ahmad although I will say this and talking about championships and raw numbers a very real chance uh, Beal could end up. What if he plays alongside LeBron and the Lakers or something in the future, and they go rattle off a couple of championships? So that's definitely on the table. But you look at—I mean, obviously Brad leading the league in scoring. Jason's not doing that. But overall, I say these guys are on almost a similar level right now, and Jason is younger still. So if you're projecting forward, I, I think. I think Jason's going to be the have the better overall career, and he's darn close. Both of these guys are darn close, and I know I haven't seen all basketball that's come out of St. Louis, but I think at least they're already in the top five players that have ever come out of this town, maybe top three, honestly, and just give them a couple more years, and they'll both be one and two. I don't think there's going to be any debate about that. This week, our Mont Hicks sat down for an extended conversation with Mizzou head football coach Eli Drinkwitz as he heads into his second season. Drink has been on a recruiting roll and has a lot of momentum heading into season two. Here's what he had to say about 2021 with Mod. I'm Ahmad Hicks and I'm joined with Mizzou head football coach Eli Drinkwitz. Coach, first let's th- let's get this off the bat first. How is the state of Missouri treating you and have you ever had Emo's pizza? <laughs> of course I've had Emo's pizza. It's delicious. Uh, I, I love the thin crust. It's got a, a unique flavor. I think it's a certain style of cheese that they use, uh, but but definitely enjoy uh, Emo's Pizza. Sugar Fire Barbecue down there in St. Louis, too, is pretty good. So I'm, uh, I'm definitely excited about Missouri. My family loves it. Uh, we've been to Kansas City. We've been to St. Louis. We've been down to Branson. We've been down to uh, all different parts of this state and, and really enjoyed all of it. It seems like you and your family are traveling all over, but it seems like you and your staff are also doing the same. You somewhat made a home in St. Louis, getting all these recruits. How does that happen? I think we just put an emphasis on relationships and an emphasis on building uh, this thing from the inside out and definitely understand that there's great players uh, in St. Louis, in Missouri. And if the best players will play here in this state, then then we can have the team that all of us dream about having and, and what we saw the Kansas City Chiefs do win the Super Bowl, what we've seen the uh, St. Louis Blues do winning the Stanley Cup, we can do right here with Mizzou football. But uh, it starts with us doing a great job of making sure we keep those St. Louis players uh, and the players in the state of Missouri home. And I tell you what, Ahmad, if you could pull any strings for me to get to throw out that first pitch for the for the Cardinals this year, you know, I was on the books last year and it had to get canceled for COVID, but if, if you could get that done for me, I'd be really appreciated. What's your favorite part about recruiting, and what's the worst part about the recruiting process? I think the best part about recruiting is the relationships. I'm a relationship-oriented person, and so developing meaning relationships with, with players and families that come into your program 
is something that I really enjoy. I think the toughest part about it is just making sure you don't sacrifice family time for recruiting time. And, you know, there's a time when I get home from about, um, you know, seven to, to nine that I don't, I try not to do any recruiting or take phone calls because that's my time um, to put my girls to bed and make sure I put first things first. Let's talk about this offense. You're an offensive guru, at least I like to think so. Tyler Macon, Dominique Lovett, Jay Macklin, all of those guys, where will they be able to take your offense in the next coming years? Well, they got to compete. I mean, we got a pretty solid quarterback right now with Connor Baselick, and, and I, I hate to put too much pressure on any one player. They, they've got to do a good job of coming here and control what they control and get better one day at a time. But we're definitely excited about their potential um, and definitely excited about what uh, Dominic has shown uh, this spring and Mookie Cooper has shown this spring. And Jay Mack so far in the first four practices has really come on and, and been aggressive with the way he's practicing. And so we're definitely excited about what it has, uh, the, the future has in store for us. But uh, uh, we, we've got some good players right now with our quarterback, Connor Baselick, and I'm really excited about his future here. And not even just Connor, you have Brady Cook in that room as well. What's your message to recruits about the level of competition that you're trying to create in Mizzou? I saw this line, I think it was from uh, General Colin Powell, said the only thing better than a little competition is a lot of competition. And we know that competition brings out the best in everybody. And so um, that for us is our number one core value, always compete to be better today than you were yesterday, be better tomorrow than you were today. And so that's the message to everybody. If you want to be the best, come compete against the best. Coach, everybody wants to win a national championship. Everybody wants to win an SEC championship. What are the necessary steps to take in order to dethrone a team like Alabama? I think it's hope versus expect. Everybody hopes to win a national championship. Very rarely do people expect it. In order to expect it, you have to have a championship standard. Uh, there's an old Bill Walsh quote that uh, champions behave like champions long before they're champions. Uh, they have a winning standard performance long before they're winners. And it's going to take everybody in the state of Missouri, not just the football coach, not just the football players. It's going to take the fans, the administration, everybody to have that type of attitude and mindset. And, you know, minimum input equals minimum output. Maximum input equals maximum output. We need our fans, uh, our, our fans in the stands. We need to sell out for row. Uh, and we got to put a winning product on the field. Everybody's got to do their part in order to be successful. And we're not there yet. We're taking baby steps and, and we're growing. What are your realistic expectations for yourself and your team in 2021? I don't know. We're not there yet. You know, I don't know exactly what this team's going to look like. Uh, we still got a lot of growth to do. We got more growth potential. We still got players who are going to contribute who aren't on campus yet. I think that's a better question for me to answer about mid-August uh, to figure out what we are. I know right now our mindset is to win the SEC East in a bowl game with class, integrity, and academic excellence. And, and we're working every single day to try to close that gap so that that's a realistic goal. Um, but I don't have expectations for this team right now um, for the upcoming season. I just have expectations for what we need to do today in order to achieve that goal. And today we got to have the best walkthrough we can possibly have and create meetings to review that film from yesterday and make sure that tomorrow we have the best practice we've had so far. Let's transition from on the field to off the field. You've been doing a lot to make sure these players are successful way beyond football. What are you guys doing right now? Yeah, you know, we talked about chasing two dreams, a life with football and a life outside of football. And, you know, during the offseason, we do a lot. Um, you know, last month we, it was, was uh, uh, Black History Month. And so we did a lot of things, recognizing Norris Stevens um, as the first African-American football player. We have Mizzou Impact, which is uh, our way of giving back to the community and making sure we're involved in community service. We have guest speakers come in um, and make sure that these young men are aware of things outside of just the realm of football. 
we're setting up internship possibilities and relationships and job shadowing opportunities with, uh, we call it the I-70 connection, Kansas City, Columbia, or uh, in St. Louis, uh, in that way that we have players who can find jobs in life outside of football. And that's really what we're focusing on right now outside of spring practice. And this past summer, you took a huge stand on denouncing racism, standing up for social justices. What is one of the coolest things a player or a parent of a player said to you about your actions and getting your team registered to vote and making sure they are well equipped for life? You know, I think I, I find those moments to be personal uh, and things that I kind of share, keep to myself because, you know, when you do things like that, you're not doing it for the recognition. Uh, you're doing it because it's the right thing to do. And, uh, and so that's, for us, it's, it's about doing what, what is the right thing to do. And, and uh, I saw it said yesterday, loving your neighbor doesn't have anything to do with whether they look like you or act like you. Loving your neighbor is a concept that we all should believe in. And last question for you, Coach. What type of legacy are you trying to leave behind? Uh, legacies are formed over years and years of excellence. And, and uh, we're just trying to build one year of excellence. And the only way you can build one year of excellence is to build one day at a time. So you got to stack good days together. And We've got some good starts. We've had some good pieces, but there's a lot of other things that we've got to continue to do and continue to push. And I think if you get too comfortable patting yourself on the back about something you've accomplished, uh, you, you get blindsided by something else. Football is a game that will humble you and life will humble you. And so you you, you got to stay focused on what you got to accomplish in today and in the moment. And that's really all we're worried about. That will do it for the Sports Plus podcast this week. Be sure to download and subscribe wherever you get your podcast, as well as rate and review. Have a good week, everybody.